Peace be upon you. So a while back, I was at a uh, tech conference, and uh, this is, you know, it's still to date, but all the rage was virtual reality. And one of the things that's so fascinating about virtual reality is that even though you know that you're in the middle of this conference on solid ground, when you put that headset on and your senses take over to the, uh, the visual stimulus, you forget and your mind does not believe that you're still at the conference and believes that you have been uh, planted into this virtual world. Uh, they had one where uh, basically it was uh, during CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, and uh, it was a mountain biking virtual reality. So you're on a stationary bike and you're biking and then you put the headset on. And what's funny is so many people, they would fall off the bike. And this is a stationary bike. It's because they were so convinced of the virtual world that they were seeing that their body dynamics, the muscle memory, would act accordingly. Um, there was another one where basically you would put the headset on and uh, it would appear as if the ground beneath you just fell apart. And what's funny is when they put this on, they had people on either side of you uh, spot you because inevitably when people would see the ground below them fall apart, they would instinctively fall to the ground. Uh, because even though that they knew, they knew they're standing on solid ground in front of, you know, hundreds of people uh, at a conference, that their mind could not believe that what they were seeing was not real. And uh, the reason I'm bringing this up is there is a uh, topic that's getting a lot of debate. It, uh, I think the idea first was postulated in uh, 2003 called simulation theory. And what simulation theory postulates is this. They say, look, and this has nothing to do, uh, I mean, the, the theory is beyond... Um, any kind of uh, religious uh, belief, um, but the, the outcome of it has a very philosophical uh, conclusion. So the stipulation is this. Intelligent life either has gotten to a point where it could simulate a uh, digital world that is indistinguishable from the physical world, or it hasn't. And if intelligent life has been able to get to that point of being able to create a simulated world that, again, is indistinguishable from the physical world, then the likeliness of us being in a simulated world is exponentially higher than being in a physical world. Now, this is something, it's, it's much debate, and again, the uh, implications of this uh, theory are highly philosophical, highly religious, um, but nevertheless, the, the debates going on among scientists and physicists, um, and it's just, it's, it's mind-boggling to think, and it's like, it reminds you a lot of kind of the Matrix, right? Uh, amazing movie, but there's so many uh, parallelisms with what they're, uh, they're speculating with a simulated world. There's another one, it's called a Holographic Universe, um, and kind of what's actually presented in the Quran. In the Quran, it, ta uh, it says in 35.5, it says, O oh people, God's promise is truth. Therefore, do not be distracted by this lowly life. Do not be diverted from God by mere illusions. And in 4039, it says, O oh my people, this first life is a temporary illusion, while the hereafter is the eternal abode. And um, scientists are, you know, they're looking at, they're trying to figure out how can we tell if we're living in a simulated world. Um, and there's a couple mechanisms. One of them is basically seeing, you know, uh, is there limitations to what we can observe? Uh, and if you think about it, if we were, take the parallel of a, a video game, you know, if we were in a video game, there's gonna be restrictions to how far within the game's parameters can we go. Um, you know, we're gonna be constricted to an X, Y, and Z coordinates within a uh, given confines. And when you think about this world, 
it's a very similar situation. We're restricted to the planet Earth. You know, we can do obviously uh, observations uh, for millions of light years away, uh, but for all practical purposes, uh, we're we're restricted to these this finite area. Um, and actually, what's beyond you know the uh, the visible universe, we don't know. Um, and it's not much different than if you were to create a video game uh, that's supposed to be indistinguishable from uh, reality. You'd basically set up constraints where there's only so far you can look um, and also uh, be able to, 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 to go. The other aspect is looking at the very small because, again, if you're in a video game, there's only so much detail that can be observed. You know, you can only go into so much detail before uh, the laws that govern that video game, the laws of physics of that video game kind of fall apart. And what's interesting is when people, now that we have the instrumentation to be able to look, uh, we're, <laughs> we're realizing that a lot of these uh, expectations of what life would be like if we were simulated uh, correspond with what we're observing, um, both on the large scale and on the small scale. Uh, last week we watched a or listened to a documentary called The uh, um, Privileged Species, and it was Michael Denton who was talking about uh, just the coincidences that take place in this world. And I just want to talk about one of them. Um, and it has to do with photosynthesis. And you think about just these sheer number of coincidences that have to fall into play for photosynthesis to take place. And without photosynthesis, there would be no life, right? There would be no plants. Uh, there would be no uh, intelligent life able to be sustained because we, we depend on uh, plants and vegetation and fruits and vegetables uh, for our sustenance. And if you eliminate photosynthesis, for all practical purposes, we would be living in a barren land. Now, you think of what needs to take place for photosynthesis to take pl uh, to occur. Um, what's interesting is, so photosynthesis, it operates on the visible light spectrum, and basically it's the, uh, the red and the blue um, uh, light is actually what's needed to trigger photosynthesis. Now, light spectrum, the electromagnetic spectrum, goes very, very wide. I mean, you go to radio waves that are kilometers long uh, to gamma rays that are, you know, one thousandth of a billionth uh, of a... Uh, uh, a meter long, right? So these are incredibly small to the relatively large. Um, that's the spectrum. That's the electromagnetic spectrum. And visible light operates in a very, very uh, small uh, slice of that overall spectrum, where you're talking about basically between 400 nanometers and 700 nanometers is visible light. So that's a light that, you know, when you look out and you see colors and you see basically things uh, uh, light up, that's visible light. But again, there's so many different, uh, the, the range of light spectrum is actually much broader than the visible light. Now, it just happens that our sun emanates a large amount of visible light. And a, a roughly 44 to 45% of the light that is emanated from the sun just happens to be visible light. Now, if you go to the, the light spectrum to, that's uh, longer, um, those ones typically, it's like uh, you get into radio waves and stuff, and they're not damaging to, the, uh, to, to organisms. But if you go to the other side of the spectrum, the incredibly uh, uh, small uh, light, you know, on the, the lower end of the light spectrum, uh, you get x-rays, you get gamma rays, and these things are absolutely detrimental to uh, organic life. Uh, anyone who's gone to the dentist and has uh, had their x-ray taken, uh, you know you have to wear this like lead vest because the amount of bombardment of the x-ray light uh, is uh, could be very detrimental, especially if you get large exposures of it. So they have you wear this vest. And now, why we're blessed is for one, 
The sun predominantly emanates visible light. And again, that's just a very thin uh, band of the total spectrum of uh, light. And then in addition, the atmosphere blocks out the vast majority of harmful uh, light. So the gamma rays, the x-rays, uh, uh, ultraviolet to an extent is all blocked out by the atmosphere. And the rays that are allowed to basically go through the atmosphere are visible light, infrared, and radio to an extent. Uh, and these ones, again, they're not detrimental to, uh, to carbon-based life. Now, what's awesome is that, again, visible light is the light that's needed for photosynthesis to take place. Um, and if you were to basically blast x-rays and gamma rays, you would literally destroy uh, the, uh, the plant. Um, and this just happens to be the light that's emanated predominantly from the sun and also what the atmosphere allows. And then in addition, what pho uh, plants need for photosynthesis. Now, that's just to get the process going. So photosynthesis itself, uh, if you get the chance, go online and look at something that's called quantum biology. It's looking at quantum physics and its effects on biology. And it's something that people have been uh, speculating for a long time, but we're finally getting the instrumentation to be able to observe and see these things in process. And one of the, uh, the, the poster child examples of quantum biology is photosynthesis. So when visible light hits a plant, what happens is that the, uh, the, the red light and the blue light of the spectrum uh, trigger photosynthesis and the green light is actually reflected back. That's why plants, you look at grass, you look at leaves, they're all green because that's the light spectrum that isn't being absorbed. Now, when light hits the plant, what's absolutely fascinating is that the level of efficiency of the uh, energy that's being produced from the photon, so the conversion from photon energy to the uh, kinetic energy that allows the plant to, to grow, um, that actually takes, its, uh, takes in uh, carbon dioxide and then releases oxygen, um, it's nearly 100% efficient. Uh, so just to give you that in perspective, if you look at a solar panel, um, and these are becoming more and more common, the level of efficiency on average on a solar panel is about 11 to 15%. And uh, you can go into some labs and, you know, under the best conditions, you're looking at maybe 20%, right? And photosynthesis happens at nearly 100% efficiency, meaning 100% of the photons that um, reach the chlorophyll are, is converted to energy uh, for the plant to use. And this is something that's like very miraculous. And they were wondering for years, how is this possible? How can there be this, this level of uh, efficiency? Now, what's interesting is within a plant cell, the photon needs, uh, needs to reach the chlorophyll. Um, and the chlorophyll is, if I'm not mistaken, so, it's a, so it has to get inside the chloroplast. And within the chloroplast, there's somewhere known as the reaction site. And this is the area within the chloroplast that the photon needs to reach uh, without losing any energy for photosynthesis to take place. And the question was, how is it possible that this photon that hits the chloroplast is able to make it to the reaction site within uh, the, uh, the chloroplast without losing any energy? Imagine if there's a maze and you only have one shot at finding the shortest distance to the endpoint. Now, what happens is if you miss and say you make a wrong turn and it's a dead end, technically you've ran out of energy and you're done. But the photon's able to make this trip consistently uh, at nearly 100% accuracy. So what quantum biology is looking at, it's, what it came to the conclusion is what's happening is when the photon reaches the chloroplast, it literally checks every conceivable path 
until it finds the reaction center and then goes back in time and goes down that, that shortest path. So it consistently checks every path and then goes and uses the shortest path. Now this is something that's absolutely awesome and uh, mind-boggling. And uh, it's one of many of these examples. Um, if you look, there's three poster child examples for quantum biology. Uh, the other ones, if I'm not mistaken, have to do with the uh, uh, geolocation of birds uh, and then also with our ability of smell. And uh, it's, it's a field that's, you know, slowly, slowly it's getting attraction, but it just goes to show just how absolutely awesome this world is in this construction. And it makes you think that, you know, what happens? Why is it that in this universe, um, we just happen to live in the scenario where the photon reaches the reaction site and uh, is able to basically have nearly 100% efficiency because if it w didn't have this level of efficiency, we wouldn't have any vegetation. And without vegetation, we wouldn't be here to have this conversation. Um, and it's one of these things that you, it makes you uh, speculate that more and more when the, they start looking at these, uh, the, the kind of the limits of physics, um, these, uh, these fringe edges, uh, it looks more and more like we're in a simulation. And, uh, you know, God willing, in due time, we'll have more information about this uh, as more and more people research. But it's something, it's just to be reflective and to be appreciative. Uh, being appreciative for the level of detail that God created in this universe. And all the, 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 the amazing um, uh, dynamics of it and how much it is to, for us to go and learn. Uh, you, you know, we're never going to get bored. There's so much information out there. And with each piece of information, it can allow us to become that much more appreciative, uh, especially when you think about something like photosynthesis. I mean, we see plants and grass and trees and stuff every day. And, you know, do we stop and think about just how miraculous of a process this is uh, that God created? And it's something that to date they're still trying to fully understand. And, uh, you know, each each year we're getting more and more information. And um, if you go online, in addition, check out uh, some of the findings in regards to simulation theory uh, and what the uh, the physicists, um, I mean, what, what they've uh, they've discovered. And it seriously sounds like uh, a sci-fi movie. They're talking about finding uh, programming language in the fabrics of physics. Uh, it's so beyond my uh, comprehension, but it's something I'm very much looking forward to. And uh, just to wrap things up, in chapter 57, verse 20, it says, Know that this worldly life is no more than playing games and boasting among you and hoarding of money and children. It is like abundant rain that produces plants and pleases the disbelievers. But then the plants turn into useless hay and are blown away by the wind. In the hereafter, there's either severe retribution or forgiveness from God and his approval. This worldly life is no more than a temporary illusion. So <laughs> let's uh, keep our priorities straight, uh, constantly you know, reflect and be appreciative for all the blessings that God has given us, and trust in God. And if you have any uh, comments or questions, feel free to hit us up at Talk at gmail.com or on uh, Twitter at TalkQuran. And until next time, peace and God bless.